the baby boomers led waves of dramatic culture changes. Their voices raise awareness of consumerism, retirement programs, higher education, health care, and civil rights transformations. Now, the baby boomers have reached an age where it is our turn to give back to them for their voices, their struggles, and their footprint on the society we benefit from today. Boomer Living Podcast is dedicated to the support and the enhancement of senior living and the baby boomers' needs and demands. We welcome conversations between caregivers, providers, gerontologists, geriatricians, neurologists, technologists, developers, and operators with one objective to serve our baby boomers. By bringing together these experts and the baby boomers' families, we can share our knowledge that will educate and inspire others on how to care for the baby boomers. We're a social platform that focuses on the respect and care of this aging population that gave their youth and their wisdom to the society we benefit from today. Today, my guest is Dwayne Clark. Dwayne founded Ages Living to offer breakthrough design, disruptive operational concepts, and transformative living experiences that bring joy, comfort, and meaning to the lives of seniors. With more than 30 years in the senior housing arena, he is an established leader nationally known for his creativity, innovation, and independent thinking in the development and management of standard-setting senior living communities. Under his leadership, Aegis has grown to more than 30 locations in the western United States, employs more than 3,000 staff members, and to date, has served more than 60,000 residents. In his capacity as CEO, Duane is a sought-after speaker and a guest of media, appearing regularly in print and broadcast with the New York Times, Today, Forbes, The Hollywood Reporter, and NBC. His many personal awards and recognitions include the Ernest & Young Entrepreneur of the Year and Lifetime Achievement Award from Senior Services. Duane has a strong belief in active philanthropy the importance of building community and creating an opportunity for others. Dwayne and his company, Ages Living, contribute to more than 70 local and global charities, with Dwayne founding the following. The Potato Soup Foundation, Seattle Seniors Strong, the D1 Foundation, the Queen Bee Cafe, and the March for Civility. Dwayne lives in Seattle with his wife, Therese, who shares his commitment to active philanthropy. Thank you so much, Dwayne, for being here. I'm very honored to have you um, join me and talk about your story, your contribution to the older adults. Can you please share with us about your upbringing and your mother's actions? And it was really powerful. And how was that impactful in your life? I was the youngest of four raised by a single mother who wanted to put all four of her kids through college, which she did. And I was not the best of young teenagers. I got out of hand. And probably when I was about 14, started to not go to school, race cars, had lots of girlfriends, those kinds of things. So I was very distracted. And my mom found out I wasn't going to school. And so she pulled me out of public school and put me in a private school 100 miles away. And when she did that, I had to live with a family because she didn't have a job in the new town. And when that happened, I lived with that family for about eight months, and then she joined me about probably nine, ten months later. And when she moved, she used all her savings and, and resources. So she got a job as a line cook in a restaurant, and she came home one day and she said, oh, we don't have any money. And I, what's new? You know, I'm a smart aleck kid. And she walked over to the refrigerator and opened it up, and, and she said, 
Oh, we have uh, a cube of butter, uh, onion, and some condensed milk. That's all we had in our little refrigerator. And she said, I'm going to have to steal from work. And I looked at her because she was a very ethical, proud woman. I said, steal some steaks. And she gave, came over and gave me a good whack. And she said, you're not going to make light of this moment. This is a very, this is an impactful moment. And she said, but I'm going to borrow some potatoes from work. And if I get like seven, eight, ten pounds of potatoes, we can eat potato soup all week long. And so we, w- we went in like bank robbers at four o'clock in the morning with a big 10-gallon bucket and loaded up on potatoes and came home and ate those potatoes for a week. And that was probably one of the most impactful times of my life because my mom would say to me, I want you to never forget this moment because she was always my biggest cheerleader. She said, I know you're going to have some impactful job. You'll have probably have employees. And if you are always there for them, they will always be there for you. And when I started Aegis, we developed the Potato Soup Foundation, which has helped dozens and dozens of people with everything from people don't go hungry because we allow people to take home meals for a dollar, another way that my mom impacted us. And uh, people have domestic violence issues. They have health care issues. They have loved ones that pass away. We pay for funerals. So it's helped hundreds of people in terms of the foundation. Thank you. So how did this influence the senior living communities that you create? My mother eventually developed Alzheimer's, and uh, she eventually became a resident of Aegis Living. And she was with us for about seven years in our communities. I wasn't only the founder and CEO of this company, I all of a sudden became a customer. And that influenced me greatly because I saw what activities she liked, what she responded to, what kind of food she liked to eat. And even as she, as the dementia progressed, you would see that her taste and stuff would evolve. And so I became very sensitive to our customers because of that. She moved in 2004. She passed away in Aegis in 2010. And so it was, it revolutionized, I think, the way we perform care. But more than that, the sensitivity we had towards our residents. You've spoken about how important employees are to businesses and how vital it is to make them number one. So do you think this comes from your upbringing and seeing how big of an impact the people on the front lines are? I think it's certainly a huge part of our culture. We talk about management by vulnerability, where we talk about the things that maybe didn't go right in our life. So many executives try to present this kind of persona that we're perfect, we had the perfect family, we had the perfect upbringing, we had the perfect childhood, we had the the perfect marriage, we went to the perfect school. That's just not reality. And all that that does is uh, distance yourself from your employees because no one's perfect. And they're like, that guy's perfect. He wears the perfect suit and he has the perfect body and all these kinds of things. That's, that's fantasy land. That's fairy tale land. It doesn't exist. And I talk about a lot of my struggles. I talk about my struggle with weight. I talk about my struggles of growing up poor. I talk about being divorced at one point in my life, having bad credit. Things I'm not proud of, but things I've learned from and how I've shaped my life in a way that's better. And I think when you can talk about these things, about your vulnerabilities, about your insecurities, about your failures, all it does is it it bonds people with you. They're like, oh, I've been through that. I have that problem. Oh, yeah, I've experienced that. And that's how you collectively build a community, a culture. You build unity that way. And that's... That's super important to me. I think also in the midst of the pandemic, it's messy out there. 
so it's hard to say that we have perfect lives. I think people's lives, including myself, is messy in all regard, health, finance, relationship, projects, many to overcome. So I think the word perfect, certainly not in my life, <laughs> is not in my vocabulary. So how does your upbringing influence your work outside of the senior living sector, like your philanthropy work? We, in a variety of ways, we have a Clark Family Foundation, we have a Potato Soup Foundation, we have a chain of cafes called the Queen Bee Cafes that were dedicated to my mom. Um, the Queen Bee Cafes gives 100% of its profit to charity. It's a coffee shop with our own bakery products that are inspired by my, my mom. We have crumpets because she was British that, were, that she loved. And we're very proud of those things. They've been hit hard by the COVID pandemic because no one wants to go to a coffee shop during a pandemic. But that's a big inspiration that we have. And I think it, I think it lives on. I have nine grandchildren and it lives on um, in our grandchildren. And we tell, we, every year we have what's called the Grandkids Academy for all our nine grandkids. And every, every child above five and over participate. And we talk about the values of, of our family. We talk about the stories of our family. Uh, we talk about the the mistakes of our family. We talk about the lessons we've learned. And, you know, we want this to be uh, passed on for generations. And that's that's the impact, I think. It started with my mom, and I, I feel like I'm the steward of this legacy. And it carries on to not only my children, but my grandchildren, and probably a decade or so, maybe my great-grandchildren. Congratulations for that, for all that you do. So you're very talented in many ways, in many forms. Why did you choose to devote so much of your time in helping the aging population? I think my grandmother had a great impact on me. She lived with us from the time I was probably five. And when my grandmother come, came to live with us, she was, first of all, she had 13 children. She was quite an experienced mother. Her husband died early, my grandfather. He was in his 50s. And so she found herself in the 30s and 40s, running a, a restaurant and a bar and being quite an entrepreneur. And so that was not commonplace for a woman in the 30s and 40s to be, you know, owner of a bar and, and a, a nightclub and a restaurant. And so she, she motivated me a lot. And yet she broke her hip and she had to go into a nursing home. Assisted living, this was in the 60s, the late 60s, early 70s. Assisted living hadn't really been invented then. And yet she would have done very well in assisted living, but there was no other option. So she went to a nursing home. And the minute she went into that nursing home, there was this brilliant woman that spoke three or four languages, very well-traveled, very cultured, had seen the world. And people treated her like she was a homeless person, like she was a bum. And I remember when I was probably 9, 10, 11, going in and seeing her and thinking, oh my God, what, why are these people talking to my grandmother like this? Don't they know who she is? Because for me, she was a rock star. And so that always left an indelible impression on me that just because you cross the threshold of a senior living community, you're not leaving your dignity at the doorstep. You're not leaving your life story at the doorstep. So you know, when I started the Ages, I said, we have to celebrate these lives. We have to celebrate the contributions they've made. And the contributions they're still making, it may be it small or, or not that noticeable anymore, but they still make contributions. And I think one of the reasons that we see people pass away sooner probably than they should in senior living is because we've taken away their purpose. We've taken away their contribution to society. And when that goes away, when that evaporates, people say, what do I have to live for? I'm making mm -hmm. no contribution.
So we try a great deal and we're starting a, a revolutionary wellness program at Aegis that we're trying to give back that purpose. No one can run a successful senior living community with more than 60,000 residents without a great staff. So what do you do to ensure your staff is top tier? First of all, just to clarify, 60,000 is what I've taken care of in my career. We don't have 60,000 now. We have about 3,000. The, the problem that we have with leadership today is that we forget that the essence of your customer delivery staff starts with your staff people, with the line staff. And unless those people are absolutely delighted, unless those people are loyal and excited and motivated to work for your company, your customer delivery fails, right? You can build the best buildings, you can have the best sites, you can have the best interior design, you can have the best talent. But if your line staff who's touching that person every day, if they're not effective, you're, you've completed 99% of the job, but the 1% that's the most important, you failed at. So that is quintessential. So we try to honor our employees in a variety of ways. We have, a, we have our own lottery that everyone who's worked over a year can participate in, that you can win up to $75,000. And we wanted it to be life-changing money because that's what we, someone can buy a condo or a car or go to school or whatever. We do a variety of things. This pandemic has been an exercise in leadership for us. Um, we started out thinking, geez, we've got to take care of our residents. And within like two days, we said, no, the critical thing is we have to take care of our line staff. Because if they don't show up for work, we have a major problem. So we had brainstorming sessions on childcare. We had, we immediately made, you could take home for a dollar a meal for your entire family of four if you wanted a full, you know, multi-course meal. We immediately instituted telehealth so that people didn't have to go to the hospital for fear of getting COVID. Um, we had mental health counseling available. We contracted with a psychiatrist to do Zoom sessions on what happens with mental health during a time of crisis. So we, we acted very swiftly to take care of our staff. And because of that, we haven't had a lot of the problems that a lot of companies have, like massive call-ins and, and people not showing up for work. And that was quintessential for me. So I think during times like now, you have to be more creative as a leader than ever before. And you have to really think about how do I care for my staff because they're number one. Very true. Your staff is very blessed to have you as a leader, and so are the residents. Thank you. To be a good leader and to do the work well, how were you able to develop these leadership skills in your own career? I think the first thing leaders should think about if you're becoming a leader, who have been the best leaders in your lifetime? And then what kind of skills did they possess that brought you closer to them? I, I was just telling a story here about an hour ago to some people about the greatest leader that I ever met was in a position young in my career. And he was given a promotion and he didn't want to leave the staff. He denied the promotion. They, they tried to promote him three times previously. And he said, no, I don't want to leave my staff. The last time the company forced him to take the promotion. And he got up in front of a staff, about 50 people, and he, he started crying. And he just said, I, I don't want to leave you. This is where I feel like I'm meant to be. This is where I'm making a difference. And here was a super powerful man that in my eyes could do no wrong. And he was weeping in front of us. And I was immediately drawn to him that he was human and he had uh, vulnerability 
and you know he spoke to us like he was fam- we were family and that stuck in my brain for a long time and i think going back to this issue at ages we call it management by vulnerability i think that's not easy for people and it's not easy because we grow up in companies where people eat their young where if you show vulnerability you're weak that if you show vulnerability you're a coward that Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, just last night, my wife was sharing with me the great writer, Brene Brown Brown podcast on vulnerability and leadership, which is so funny because it espouses all the things that I talk about. And she made some great points about there's vulnerability is is an act of courage. And just think about it. Think about your own personal life. If all of a sudden you had to get up in front of you know, a hundred people and tell them something that you're not proud of or a mistake or a personal issue or something that happened between you and your spouse or, you know, whatever. And you're going to be really nervous about it, right? And people would say, why would you do that? We do it because we're leading human beings and we want the human beings we're leading to see us as humans. Because it's, you have to have a connection. You have to bond with the people you lead. And if you look at the great leaders of our country, it's people like, oh God, that's, I'm not going to get into politics here, but whoever you think a great leader is, you, you fall in love with that person because you say, oh, they espouse the values and the qualities that I resonate with. And when you can't stand leaders, it's for the opposite reason, because they espouse qualities that repulse me, that are, th- those are nauseating qualities in a person. And to have that kind of relationship with people, your staff become your customers. And you, gotta, you have to ask your customers, what do they want? What are the qualities that they want to see in you? And I think categorically it's vulnerability. I, I remember when Hillary Clinton was on the uh, campaign trail and there was a moment where she got emotional and everybody thought, oh my God, this is going to kill her. It didn't. I, I think people looked at it and said, no, I, I bond with her now. So I think your staff has to bond with you. They're not going to do it because you, you roll out your eight-point growth plan, they're going to do it because they see you as a human being that they're attracted to. So John Maxwell talks about how anyone can steer a ship, but it takes a leader to chart the course. So in your opinion, what is the role of leaders in terms of setting goals and future paths for their organization? I think people of all kinds inherently want to be led, right? I mean, just think about it. You go to the restaurant, the maitre d' meets you, he leads you to your table. You go to Disneyland and the person tells you what line to get in and where to go. I think we're conditioned as human beings to inherently want to be led. And so when we don't have that leadership, it causes great anxiety and and great confusion. And one of the basic responsibilities of a leader is to say, hey, here's where we're going. Here's the course. Here's the short-term goals. Here's the long-term goals. Here's the plan of action. Here's the steps we need to get there. Here's the weaknesses that we're going to have to shore up to make this happen. Those are all responsibilities of leaders. And then, you know, to take baby steps towards those milestones, because you don't, you, you don't go from the bottom rung on the ladder to the 25th rung on the ladder. That's a leader's job is to chart the course, to give focus, to define the rungs of, of the ladder that are both achievable and measurable. And that's basic leadership. So have you thought about aging in your own life? And how is your aging process? It differs every day, to be honest with you. (laughs) I've thought a lot about aging. You may know I wrote a book called 30 Summers More. I spent 
five years researching it. It got released in October, quickly became a bestseller on Amazon, received many best of many categories like in health and fitness and longevity and aging and so on, exercise. But I think the challenge with aging is, first of all, we go into denial about it. The fact that we don't really believe that it's happening, but it's happened the second on this, you know, the last 20 minutes with you, I've aged. And so you have to look at the basic biology of what happens to you as you age. And the basic biology is life and death surround one thing in the human body, the growth and substance of human cells. And so there's things that we can do that will kill ourselves faster than ever. And there's things that we can do to actually extend cell life. And that's what 30 Summers More is all about. People say it's all about stress. If you have a lot of stress, they'll kill you. What's the most stressful job in the world? Being president of the United States. I know I've interviewed now probably four or five ex-presidents. I can tell you that all of them are living 10 to 15 years longer than any of their non-president friends, than the average lifespan. So it's not just stress. And presidents don't take a magic pill. I've asked them all about their health care and what medications they take and so on. It's not about genetics. They all come from different genetics. So there are a list of core habits that you can do, and that's what 30 Summers More is all about, that will extend your life expectancy. I, I think some days I do really well on it, and some days I don't. Like one of the principles I have in 30 Summers More is, the first thing you should do when you wake up in the morning before you go to the bathroom or anything else is down about 12 to 16 ounces of water, room temperature. Because during the night, your body is getting rid of all the toxins that are bad for it. And you have to supercharge your body. That also starts your metabolism. It, it keeps your hunger factor down. It uh, will get rid of brain fog. So a simple thing like that has multiple benefits that if you do it every day, you'll feel better and it helps with your health and longevity. So with regard to your aging, have you given any thought on how, how you want to age as far as your own senior living? You're going to be a resident in your own communities. How do you want to live? I mean, is that going to change anything different than what you are uh, constructing and operating the senior living right now? The first thing I would tell you is I construct and develop and create and design every senior housing building that I build and operate as though I'm going to live there. So I want a spa there. I want a good chef there. I want good activities there. I want comfortable furniture there. I want outdoor space there. So I design it as though I'm going to live in it. <clears throat> I think with regard to my own personal aging, the biggest thing that I have found about aging is how involved you are into your later ages. And so you look at people like Prince Philip, who is 99, Winston Churchill, who was not the guy that was the greatest in shape, but the guy lived into his 90s because he had purpose in his life. Queen Elizabeth, who's 94. The Pope, or Pope Benedict, is 94. You look at these people who have great purpose, belief systems, and that's what carries them through. It's not their genetics, because everybody's genetics different, right? Genetics only affects about 23% of your longevity. It's the fact that you are engaged and have purpose and every day you get out of, the, out of bed in the morning thinking you're going to do more than go golfing or fishing. And that's the mistake that a lot of Americans make. They retire at 62, 65, and then they say, oh, I'm just going to golf the rest of my life. That's not purpose. And so you have to have some meaningful activity 
that both goes beyond you, spreads beyond you, and is measurable. And if you do that, you'll, you know, that's 90% of the battle. I appreciate your time to share with the listeners and inspire so many people. I share a lot of your sentiments, so thank you again. My pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Boomer Living Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, boomerliving.tv, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other platforms. This way, you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us tremendously. Be sure to tune in weekly for our next episode. And remember, growing old is the purest and the most positive experience of human existence.